This week on Myths and Legends, it's a fairy tale from Scandinavia, where you'll see that the best weapon for defeating evil trolls might just be in your kitchen. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's the Tom Cod, and you'll learn just how wrong you've been fishing since pretty much forever. This is Myths and Legends, episode 146, Twinning. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. And others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This is a fairy tale from Scandinavia, and it's one that I love, but I can't explain why I love it until the end. So we're just going to jump right in. The Queen Hung Her Head another month, and still no child. The king didn't seem to care that much. He was happy with their life together, and assured her that an heir would come at the right time. But the queen, the queen was bored, really bored, and she wanted a baby to take away her boredom. The king shook his head and rolled his eyes. Yeah, there were so many great reasons to have a kid, but being bored probably wasn't one of them. Everywhere, the queen saw children, parents with their screaming, stinking little ones at the markets, nobles scolding their children in their mansions, orphans stuck in the vilest huts. Hey, the king said, holding up a hand and chiming in at dinner. Uh, what if we, you know, adopted one of those orphans from, quote, the vile huts? I mean, you want a kid and there are a lot of kids who need help kind of seems better than sitting around and complaining. And so they did. In a kind of surprising move for fairy tales, the royal couple didn't make a harrowing deal with a sorcerer and instead adopted a girl from an orphanage. Pretty cool move on their part, if I can say so myself. So yeah, they adopted a girl from the vile huts. And the story says they were excited to praise and scold her like real parents. Which, weird motivations, but sure. Thankfully, there was more praising than scolding. But the scolding did happen eventually, mainly in light of the girl's choice of playmates. Now, there's rich, and then there's giving your children solid gold apples to play with, rich. And the queen was the latter type. It was early afternoon, and out in front of the castle, the daughter of the queen sat tossing a golden apple high into the air. She caught a lot of attention, but it was the beggar's daughter who came forward and asked if the princess wanted to play. It was then that the queen floated over to the window and noticed the princess playing with the beggar's daughter. She tapped on the pane and the daughter looked up to see her mother shaking her head. Ignoring her mother, the princess continued tossing the apple back and forth. Before a louder tap pierced the air, she looked up to see an even sterner head shake and an even louder tap on the window. With a sigh, the princess turned to walk upstairs. You're above playing with a tattered beggar's brat, the queen said. It was like one of those scenes where someone says something horrible about someone else and the camera pans out slightly to reveal the third party standing right there. It was like that. The beggar's daughter was standing right there, hand in hand with the princess. I guess when you're queen, you don't need to watch what you say. The beggar's daughter shrugged. If the queen knew her mother's power, there was no way she would drive them out. The queen waited there, an exasperated look on her royal face. Okay, and the beggar's girl shrugged. 
and the girl's mother could help the queen get children if she chose. The princess smiled. Well, it was a good thing she already had a daughter then. Right, mom? She turned. Mom? But the queen was deep in thought and ignored her daughter. She turned to the beggar's girl, a changed look in her eyes. Bring your mom to the palace. Minutes later, the beggar bowed low before the queen as the queen began to speak. The beggar woman sighed. Was her daughter telling everyone she was a witch to avoid getting kicked out of palaces again? That was so annoying. Dangerous too. This was medieval Scandinavia. They were not cool with witches. When the beggar woman had shuffled out, the queen called her daughter back in to demand an explanation. The daughter nodded. <laughs> Classic mom, denying she was a witch to avoid being pressed in the service of a desperate queen and or beheaded. There was, however, a way to coax her mom into quite literally working her magic. The queen became serious. Sacrificing a goat to sake the dark bloodlust of the underworld? Maybe a cow? The queen began to breathe heavily, looking to the door, where her daughter stood just outside. Sacrifice? A child? The beggar's daughter took one step back. What? No! Ugh, that's dark. Her mom was just a lightweight. Just use booze. The third bottle of mead rolled away from the table as the queen produced the second bottle of wine. This witch could drink. The beggar woman blinked a long blink and the queen caught her trying to rest her head on the table. This was her chance. It was now or never. Softly, she asked the woman how she, the queen, could get pregnant with a child. The beggar woman slammed her glass down. She wasn't a witch. But then a sly smile crept across her face. Since she's, you know, not a witch, she wouldn't tell the queen to not bring two pails of water some evening before she went to bed. The queen definitely should not wash herself with them and then empty both buckets of water underneath the bed. If the queen did something crazy and completely went against the beggar woman's advice, the beggar woman said while nodding, then the next morning, two flowers would be growing beneath the bed. Then the beggar woman thought about it. She was kind of getting tired of the whole opposite day game and this next part was pretty important. The queen should eat the beautiful flower and only the beautiful flower and let the ugly flower stand. The queen stopped her. Wait, so I should let the beautiful flower stand and eat? No, the beggar woman interrupted. That part was legitimate. This is important. Eat the pretty flower only. Let the ugly one stand. All right, good talk. I'm just gonna like sleep here for the night. Please don't set me on fire or something for being a witch. Night. Excitedly, the queen left the beggar woman on the benches and rushed to her room. She did exactly as the beggar woman didn't say and washed with the water before pouring it out under her bed. She laid down and, even though she was full of anticipation, she managed to fall asleep sometime before dawn. When morning came, the queen looked beneath the bed and found, sure enough, two flowers. As expected, one was beautiful and one was ugly. The pretty flower was your standard flower, but the ugly one was rotting and brown, foul with black leaves. She plucked the beautiful flower and ate it. It tasted like honey. She made to stand, but stopped, narrowing her eyes. If one flower would give her one child, 
she held her nose and bit down on the gross flower. Okay, so imagine eating a roach. Now imagine eating a whole mouthful of roaches. That might approach the taste and mouthfeel of the withered flower. Determined, the queen choked it down. There. It was done. Nine months later, the queen screamed as she pushed. What was going on down there? The physicians didn't quite know how to respond to her question. Instead, the queen heard only a bleeding of a goat. Confused, but still very much in the middle of labor, the queen pushed, and finally, the baby arrived. The girl, who had come to be known as Tatterhood, didn't lie there and cry like pretty much all other babies do. Instead, she shot right out of her mom, riding a goat that one also has to assume came out of the mother, and gripping a wooden spoon. She slapped the goat on the rear to make him go faster and faster as the goat-riding baby circled the room. Circling back, the newborn noticed the woman on the bed. Clearly pained and full of questions, the little one smiled. Hey there, mama. You know the saying, a face only a mother could love? Well, poor Tatterhood wasn't even fortunate enough to have that face. Her mother looked on her and shuddered. If I'm your mama, God give me grace to mend my ways, was all the queen could utter. Undeterred, the naked baby simply laughed and asked her mother not to be sorry. One would soon come who was better looking. And she wasn't wrong. While one daughter was trying to set PRs for maternity ward circuit goat races, the queen pushed again and easily gave birth to the second daughter, probably because that girl wasn't also riding a goat. The queen hugged her cute little baby daughter, while somewhere in the castle, servants were sent to chase after the one that had dashed past the king and everyone else waiting in the hall. As the girls grew, the younger twin became more and more beautiful, while the older twin became more and more ugly and ragged. Her face was frightening to look at, and even though the queen kept trying to keep the girl locked away, she was so smart and resourceful that she continually escaped and dashed back to her younger sister, who loved her, well, like a sister. To the younger sister, they gifted all the best clothes, while the elder twin received little more than rags, essentially earning the name Tatterhood. All in all, the three sisters, the eldest one with the golden apple and the two younger twins, lived happily together. And then Christmas came. You know how your family does things and you don't realize it might be a little weird until you're older? Well, Tatterhood and her twin had that feeling one Christmas. They had just hit their teenage years and the younger twins didn't want to spend Christmas Eve locked in a cellar with their mother, father, sisters, and enough musicians to drown out any noise from outside. Tatterhood cocked her head. Uh, it had always seemed fun and normal, but why couldn't they leave that room? The mother laughed. Oh, it was really nothing, not even worth asking about. A blood-curdling scream went up from outside. The musicians played even louder. Tatterhood stood. She was really good at escape rooms, and she was getting out of here one way or another. What was outside? The queen and king met eyes, both turning back to Tatterhood at the same time. A few years back, they had some... guests for Christmas dinner. A pack of trolls led by a few witches that had less 
asked if they could come in and more so stormed their keep and killed anyone who got in their way before sitting down to a lovely dinner. Around year three or four, the king's household stopped fighting, instead hiding in the cellar until the crew left the following morning. Cleaning troll vomit out of, well, everything wasn't the best way to spend Christmas morning, but it was better than being dead. Probably. Unbar the door, Tatterhook commanded. The soldiers by the door looked to their king, who shrugged. The girl had come out of her mother howling and riding a goat. His best soldiers hadn't been able to stop the trolls. Maybe his daughter could. The king gestured to his soldiers, who lifted the bar. Tatterhood leapt atop her trusty goat steed, swung her spoon a few times through the air, and nodded to her family, telling them to watch the door. She spurred, the goat bleated, and Tatterhood disappeared out into the dark hallway. For a moment, there was silence. And then, from upstairs, the family heard screaming. The queen buried her face in the king's chest, thinking of her daughter who, you know, she had actively imprisoned, facing those monsters alone. But then they realized that the screams didn't belong to Tatterhood. They were the trolls and the witches. She was doing it. Tatterhood was chasing them off. In the joy of celebration, no one noticed the other princess. Tatterhood's twin creeped toward the door. She was the youngest, but she was next in line. Everyone knew it. But Tatterhood, something was different about Tatterhood. Something special. She wasn't a prim and proper princess like her sisters, but she was the one to ride out on her goat and save the family from a crew of actual trolls. The least the younger sister could do was steal herself enough to take a look out of the room. She crept around the door, squinting in the dim light of the torches flickering in the hallway. Way, way down toward the staircase, blood was splattered on the wall. The youngest princess grimaced at the thought of Tatterhood killing something with a wooden spoon. Faint screams echoed from upstairs as she took a few steps out of the room. The princess was so absorbed with looking in front of her that she didn't see the eyes open in the darkness of the corner behind her. We'll see things take a dark turn, but that will be right after this. All right, now back to the show. Upstairs, all fell silent, and inside the room, it was quiet enough to hear the thud from the hallway. The queen ran to the door and screamed. There, on the floor, lay the headless body of the youngest princess, bleeding out before them, all while the princess's head dangled from the witch's grasp. The witch looked at the girl's head and sighed. So beautiful. There was no way she could recreate this, but maybe she could come close. She snapped her fingers, and there, in the place of the youngest daughter's head, appeared a cow's head. The cow's eyes widened as it bellowed in terror. The cow-headed princess, running miserably around on all fours, rushed off down the hall. The witch smiled. Now for the queen. That's when she heard the bleeding of a goat off in the distance. Her eyes widened, and she froze. Never mind. She snapped her fingers again and vanished in a puff of smoke. Tatterhood emerged from that same smoke moments later. Hey, fun question. 
What was the last thing she said before she left? Was it to let her sister wander out into a witch-infested castle? Oh no, that's right, it was watch the door. You know what the definition of not watching the door was? She asked, gesturing to her sister, who she now had on a leash. You know, on the other hand, I'm now the second prettiest daughter, Tatterhood said with a grin. Oh, too soon? Yeah, too soon. Well, all right, I can fix this. Her mother grimaced. No, no one could fix this. Her daughter had a cow head. It was like a minotaur, but way less cool. Tatterhood cocked an eyebrow. Uh, she just defeated an entire castle's worth of witches and trolls with a goat and a spoon. Maybe mom could give her a little more credit. Where did you learn to do all of this? The queen asked watching Tatterhood ready a fully outfitted ship for a voyage by herself. Yeah, you know how you were all like, where's Tatterhood? Is she down by the docks again, or reading books, or learning stuff like how to kill with a spoon? Oh, who cares, because she's not pretty. The queen looked to the ground. Yeah, Tatterhood replied, squinting judgmentally, and turning to her father. She had a ship in full trim, its stores fully packed. She would sail with her sister all alone, and... If she could, she would save the girl. The queen put her hand on Tatterhood's shoulder. She acknowledged she had been unfair to the girl. You know, in calling her ugly all the time and trying to keep her imprisoned in her room like Quasimodo. Tatterhood nodded, and the queen continued. But the queen sighed. She could admit when she was wrong. She loved the girl. Tatterhood smiled and hugged her mom back. She knew. She had always known. Tatterhood stood on the deck feeling the wind and adjusting the sails she rubbed the forehead of her sister's cow head she knew her sister wasn't in there but she hoped and prayed that her twin knew that her sister was coming for her she looked out in the open ocean and wrapped another fur around her body the seas would be calm open and practically vacant this time of year. Her sister's head was out there somewhere, and when she found it, the witches would be ready. They took that head and replaced it with the cows for a reason. They knew that Tatterhood, the one who had driven out the one she couldn't kill, would be coming for the head to restore her sister. Now, being a goat-riding, spoon-slapping black sheep of the family had its advantages. She wasn't expected to sit alongside her sister, and knit, or learn manners, or any of the typical princess stuff. She had been able to slip down to the docks, wearing her tattered clothes, and learn all about shipbuilding, make friends with her father's master-at-arms, and learn the best way to wield her spoon, and spent countless winter months buried in the ancient tomes, out of sheer boredom. Prepared, she knew that it was out there. The land where the witches dwelt. She didn't, however, know if it would take days, weeks, months, or, oh, about 45 minutes then. If the murky frozen swampland and the twisted spire of a castle surrounded by flaming skulls didn't give it away, her sister's severed head, gray and staring out from the tallest tower, did. The days weren't long this time of year, and the sun was already setting. Tatterhood patted her sister on the head, 
then led the cowgirl, but not that type of cowgirl, below deck, locking her in. She would be terrified, but it would keep her from wandering off while Tatterhoop was gone, necessitating another quest to retrieve her body from whatever sort of monsters lived in these swamps. Back above deck, Tatterhood surveyed the landscape, looking out on the setting sun. A massive flock of birds was taken to the sky, and Tatterhood readied her spoon and patted her goat. Then she realized something. Those weren't birds. The witches were ready, and they had been busy. Since the lone survivor had returned with the princess's head, she warned the others of the girl who rode a goat and brandished a spoon, one who would kill them all if given half a chance. And so they all had gathered there, and now it wasn't the birds or bats who had taken to the air and come after Tatterhood, but the witches themselves. Tatterhood felt the wind and saw the growing host in the sky. Witches were still taking off from the castle, blotting out the golden hour light. Tatterhood rushed to the helm and looked on her course to make landfall. She tied the wheel to keep it in place in her absence. She didn't know how she was going to make it past a cloud of angry witches and fight all the way up and through the tower to the tallest window. And then she thought about it. Maybe she didn't have to, after all. Tatterhood mounted her goat and gripped her spoon. She looked on the growing cloud of witches and gritted her teeth. Then the witches slammed into the ship, annihilating most of the sails instantly. It was a hit that would kill anyone on deck. But Tatterhood wasn't on deck. There was a reason she rode a goat. At the very last moment, when she could see the witchy whites of their witchy eyes, she jumped. The witches were one uncoordinated mass, so they didn't even know what was going on until witches began to fall from the sky above them. And then, even if they did look up, it was too late. Tatterhood had moved on. The goat focused on jumping, and Tatterhood focused on bringing spoon-administrated justice down on any witches who tried to get in her way. It wasn't easy, but she slowly jumped, working her way toward the tower, leaving a trail of unconscious witches along the way. At last, Tatterhood found the tower window and leapt as the last of the witches took off to bravely join the fight against the odd little witch hunter, but found her trip cut short by a goat hoof to the forehead and a mild concussion. Tatterhood's goat came to a rest in the stones, and she quickly scooped up her sister's head putting it into a bag at her side. After she did, she looked out the window. By now, the witches had realized she wasn't on the boat, and they were coming for her. She had what she came for, her sister, and now it was time to leave. Bobbing up and down like a prize fighter before the match, Tatterhood gripped her spoon and grinned. Let's do this. The ship was still lazily drifting into the harbor when it shuddered. Tatterhood crash-landed the witch she and her goat were surfing. As she flipped the dazed witch overboard, she limped the remaining sails, unfurled them, and then tore the ropes from the helm. The cloud of witches was defeated, but they would regroup and realize that they were witches and could use, like, so much magic instead of just attacking in force. When the realization came, Tatterhood wanted to be as far away as possible from the harbor. It was only when the boat was on the right course and the wind was picking up that Tatterhood felt the bag that dangled from her waist. She took a deep breath. The old stories were unclear on how to replace the head. Usually, they just had a person taking the head from the body and then replacing it. Tatterhood was pretty sure that, you know, 
Next prevented that, what with their blood, bone, and connective tissue, and one tug on the cow head confirmed that. It wasn't coming off. Tatterhood shrugged and returned with an axe. Either this worked or it didn't, but either way, her twin wouldn't have a cow head anymore. She raised the axe above her head and brought it down hard on the hairy cow neck. As her sister's body collapsed, Tatterhood brought the human head from the bag and placed it on the neck. There were no magic words, no incantations or spells, just a gasp as the twin sister came back to life. She jumped back in terror from the witch that was no longer in the dark hallway and realized she was on a ship with her sister. Tatterhood wiped a tear from her eye and embraced her sister. She was safe. They had done it. They were safe, but they weren't out of danger. When the massive witches slammed into the ship, they had destroyed most of the sails and, well, everything on deck. As the sisters hug and Tatterhood explained where she was and what the bloody cowhead was doing on the deck, they heard a crash from above. Rushing over, they could already see the broken mast had finally collapsed. Tatterhood looked all around. There was no massive witches in the night sky. They were far enough out to sea to be safe from that threat. But now they were far out to sea without a sail. It was 13 days and way too much wine, jerky, and stale bread later when Tatterhood heard a shout. Instinctively, she leapt atop her goat and dashed to the front of the boat to see who she'd have to fight next. But it was only some dock workers yelling at people. The ship had found its way to the docks of a city in the early morning and finally came to a rest against a boardwalk. It wasn't long before all the king's horses and all the king's men came huffing on down to the docks to see the girl in the hood riding a goat. They asked if she was safe, if there were any more on board. Tatterhood yelled back that they were the princesses of a faraway king, and yes, there was one more on board. Her sister. She was beautiful. Maybe the most beautiful. All the king's men asked if they could, you know, see her. Tatterhood shook her head. Nope, not before the king saw her. If anyone tried to board the boat before that, they'd meet the business end of her wooden spoon. They cocked an eyebrow not sure if she was joking and kind of not wanting to find out, and called the king. When he first heard of the ship, the king was more excited to see the woman in rags riding a goat than her twin sister. But that quickly changed when he got one look at her twin sister. You see, the sisters had found this king at a very particular point in his own fairy tale journey. He had been married, and together, he and his wife had a child, a boy, an heir. As fairy tale mothers do, the queen had died, and the king was now looking for a new wife that hopefully wouldn't try to murder his recently come-of-age heir so that her own children would sit on the throne. And today, the king had finally found one, or so he thought. The king knelt down on one knee and immediately asked Tatterhood's sister to be his wife. She smiled and said no. Well, yes, but there was one thing he had to do first. The king took her hand. Absolutely. For her hand anything. The twin looked at Tatterhood and smiled. Her older sister, Tatterhood, had to get married first, and she had to marry his son and heir. The king chuckled, either not knowing or not caring that he was walking into a taming of the shrew or, for my fellow older millennials, a 10 things I hate about you situation. He agreed with a nod 
and the younger twin accepted his proposal. Riding to her wedding, Tatterhood trotted alongside the surly prince. She turned to him, asking why he didn't talk. They were going to be husband and wife soon. They should get to know each other before they got to know each other. Wink. But still very unhappy at being ordered to marry Tatterhood, the prince rolled his eyes. What did she want to talk about? She asked her betrothed why he didn't ask her why she rode this ugly goat. He sighed. Okay, why did she ride such an ugly goat? Also, was there really such thing as an attractive goat? He looked at her. And to his amazement, Tatterhood was no longer riding the goat, but a grand white steed. The conversation continued, and the spoon became a wand, and the tattered hood a crown, until, finally, the princess formerly known as Tatterhood asked the prince why he didn't ask her why her face was so ugly and ashen gray. Despite that never really being something you should utter to your fiancé, the prince did so, and looked at Tatterhood. His eyes opened, and he saw her for who she was, as she saw herself, as she deserved to be seen. When Tatterhood trotted up to the chapel on her goat, spoon in hand and ragged hood on her head over the face she always had, the prince helped her off her horse, and happily walked with her into the chapel. And so the twins, the prince and his father, had the same anniversary. Though Tatterhood's twin was queen, she wouldn't go all evil stepmother on the prince, and... When her time came, she would step aside so Tatterhood and the prince could become queen and king themselves. And Tatterhood's descendants, not her own, would become the rightful rulers of the kingdom. It was the least she could do, for the sister had loved her enough to dive into a literal cloud of witches. The original story leaves it ambiguous as to whether or not Tatterhood permanently changed to be, quote, ten times more beautiful than her sister, or who was just how the prince truly saw her for the person she really was. Some commentaries I found in the story seem to indicate the latter, and I personally like to think that the prince was able to see Tatterhood, how she was really beautiful, without needing to conform to any societal notions of femininity. Regardless, I really like this story if only for how it doesn't do what every other fairy tale from this time period does. In the Middle Ages, ugly meant bad. Period. In these stories, if a character was ugly, a character was evil. Think Ogman from Arrow Odd. So many evil witches, or literally every evil dwarf from the Arthurian legends. To not only have a, quote, ugly protagonist, but a female one who defies all expectations outsmarts witches and trolls and beats them when necessary and marries on her own terms, the story isn't just rare, it's pretty much one of a kind in the world of folklore for its time period. That is it for the story. Next week is the conclusion of the Oedipal Saga. Not the weird and problematic Freudal development stage, but the equally weird and problematic Greek tragedies. I want to say thanks to Davos, Terrace 817, Delta Pacific, Richard Marathon Trainee, MG San Diego, Often Wish 4, Dr. Mrs. the Monarch, nice, Sage Spice 02, Seamus the Scot, the Dithloff Pass email guy, and Yoshi Yahoo 262 for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for your reviews. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place and it still does help the show. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There is also a membership thing on the site. 
For less than the price of a fanny pack that looks like a man's hairy belly, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad free versions of the show that are not so ridiculously dad that you somehow found a way to make a fanny pack more embarrassing for your kids. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Tomcod, a fearsome critter from the Puget Sound region of the North American Pacific Northwest. If Tomcod sounds like a low effort, last minute substitute for when someone found out catfish was already taken, well, you're absolutely right. It's really a pity though, because Tomcod is way more of a catfish than the fish that claims its name, because the Tomcod is your normal fish with an actual cat's head. There are two ways to possibly catch a Tomcod. One way is sending a dogfish after it because, ha, and the other way is to put a sponge soaked in cream in the water and wait. You'll notice that I didn't say put a sponge soaked in cream on a hook because that's not how you catch it. That would be too easy. You put a sponge soaked in cream in the water and load a gun with nine bullets. Any fewer than that and you won't get the job done. And any more than that is really just gratuitous. Wait until the Tom Cod stops at the cream sponge and then just shoot it nine times, one for each one of its lives. After that, congrats, you've just caught yourself a Tom Cod. If you're wondering why you'd want a Tom Cod, especially when they can be so easily, albeit gruesomely faked, well, in 1913, they were apparently all the rage at fancy Fifth Avenue luncheons in New York City, and the heftiest of Tom Cods could go for $15 a plate. If that doesn't sound like much, remember that it was 1913, and inflation exists. So nine shots, a cream-soaked sponge, and New Yorkers inexplicably wanting to eat an animal with the head of a cat and the body of a fish could net you over $400 in 2019 money. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. And there are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you next time. Music